Hey there, welcome to The Good Complex. Thank you for coming back and joining us for another episode. We are on the final episode in the series that we have been doing, talking about one of the most complicated issues, but you're hearing about it everywhere. You're probably talking about it in your personal life, your friends, your family, you're hearing about it on the news every day, and that's abortion and Roe versus Wade and how uh, the overturn of that has just turned everything sort of upside down. And this is our final conversation. It's a completely different perspective than what we've heard. And so, Jeff, tell us a little bit about your conversation with Bruce Miller. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to sit down with Bruce Miller, who's a pastor in the Dallas area of Christ Fellowship. He's also an author uh, as well, and you can look up his stuff. But, uh, you know, Bruce comes at it from a very different perspective than George Mason last week, even though they both appreciate, they're they're both coming from a biblical grid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they just come out of that through that filter with a different perspective. And yet both, as we're going to see, really thoughtful, really humble, and pretty quick to admit when you say, you know what, I don't know, yeah. or this is unclear or whatever. So I think, I think as we listen to, to this one, uh, just, just keep that in mind as uh, it's just a, a conversation with another very thoughtful person that you might or might not agree with. But don't dismiss it too quickly just because you don't agree. Uh, be curious enough to think, hey, what, what, where might this person be right? right. And, yeah. and, and what, do I need to, what do I need to really take with me? Yeah. And I think this conversation we're about to watch and the, and the last conversation, it's kind of a good example. If people are sort of uh, in the Christian community, you may have heard, you know, so well, I just follow the Bible, which is great. We follow the Bible, too. Um, Sometimes that's less than helpful to just say that because w- within Christian circles on, on, on important and difficult topics, everybody's looking at the Bible. And so, and sometimes really smart people and really uh, people that, that really care about the Bible come to different conclusions on things. And, uh, and just because I might hold to something doesn't necessarily f- mean that that's true. And so we need to, we need to hear other perspectives. Yeah. Well, let's do that now. Yeah, let's let's, let's uh, join the conversation. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Bruce, for joining us on The Good Complex as part of this conversation in the wake of the repeal of Roe v. Wade uh, around abortion. Thank you for, thanks for jumping into this conversation. Yeah, I, I'm honored you ask. I, uh, a little nervous you ask. This is not an easy topic, but I'm, but I'm, I'm honored. I'm happy to be with you. Well, for those who don't know, Bruce Miller is a pastor in McKinney, Texas of Christ Fellowship, as well as an author of multiple books. You can look him up, uh, some really helpful resources there. Also, you're a University of Texas grad, and, uh, and, and, and by the time this airs, Alabama and Texas will have already played, but when we're taping oh, it, it's <laughs> a couple of days away, and as an Alabama guy and a Texas guy, any... Uh, what 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 is your prediction? I'm predicting Texas is going to win. It's going to be close, but we're going to win. And I'm thinking Alabama by at least twenty. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I might have some money to put on that. So yeah, so it may be even a little less controversial topic that we're talking about as we look <laughs> at abortion and from one perspective. Um, so as a as a pastor of a church that is uh, where you're pro-life and church pro-life. We've talked with another pastor who has a very different perspective, so it's interesting having two pastors in this conversation. 
But I want to start the conversation thinking through the lens of someone who is pro-choice, maybe wonders why Christians who are pro-life seem to be so um, enthusiastic about taking away their agency, uh, their reproductive rights. It's kind of like, hey, it's one thing for you to make that decision for your family, but why, why try to, you know, make it a blanket moral statement that would appeal, that would apply to everybody? Sort of why would you want to take away the agency of women to make decisions for their own bodies in their own situations that they're in? I know that's a hardball uh, starting the conversation, but. Thanks for starting off with an easy one, Jeff. Yeah. But, but I think that's where a lot of people are coming from. It's like, Hey, Christians, you know, a lot of them seem nice enough, but why do so many seem to be pro-life and, and therefore want to take this away from the rest of us? Uh, so, yeah, respond to that. Yeah, I think it's a really fair question, a good question, appropriate question. And I, I certainly believe all of us as humans should have agency, that we should have freedom to make our choices, whatever those choices might be. And then I think we need to be responsible for those choices. And so decisions, whatever they are, choices that we make, with our agency carry consequences. But I, for me, if I could broaden it a little bit, Jeff, uh, I, I am concerned about people who have used their agency to hurt other people. And frankly, if you look in, in the history of the world, it's mainly been powerful people, whether you're powerful because your position, because you, ha- you hold a position of being an executive at a company, or years ago, you were a prince or royalty, you use that to abuse people. And you know, if we're honest with, with the way it is, it's been more men abusing women. And sometimes that that's because someone has financial power or they have power from celebrity, whether that's as an athlete or in the media, or of course, as we well know, you have, you have power because you're, you're, you're older than somebody else. And to see people being taken advantage of being abused, particularly sexually. And I think there's been such a backlash starting with me too, and all of that, that's been so helpful, such a helpful correction, at least in the United States and, and beyond in some other countries as well. And I, I think that all people, but certainly Christians should stand up for the vulnerable. We should stand up for people who are being mistreated by someone bigger than them, stronger than them, more powerful than them. And I'll tell you where it, where it, where it irks me the most is in our, our realm of religious people. If you hold some sort of religious power, maybe it's your title, you're a, you're a priest, you're a pastor, you're a minister, and then you use your title, you use your power, your agency to abuse a woman, to seduce a woman who perhaps is younger, maybe part of your congregation. And I just think that is egregious. Of course, it makes everyone who's in my role look bad, but it's deeper than that. People get hurt, deeply wounded, with a combination of a person who's supposed to be the good guy, who is a religious leader using their religious influence to harm somebody. And I I guess if I went from there, maybe I said that's almost the most egregious. I think there's another step worse. And, And that would be when adult people use their agency to abuse children and to take advantage of children. Uh, I guess it, it hits close to home because someone in my own sphere of influence, my own family was abused as a child and uh, they really didn't have, it's, it's a woman and they really didn't have the power 
to resist and the scars are lifelong. So I'm going a direction here, which is, I think that, that we need to stand up for the little people. We need to stand up for the small guys who maybe can't resist the people who with more power are going to take advantage of them. And the smaller someone is, the more vulnerable they are, the more they need protection from someone else. I, I guess some of the stories that maybe make me cringe some of the most are when you read about, a, say, a, a mentally disabled teenager being taken advantage of by an adult in a sexual way. When you know they, they can't, they don't have the ability to fight back or even to describe what happened to them. Uh, my wife is a speech language pathologist and worked with a, a young person who had some disabilities and was unable to literally say what happened to them in a, uh, a school setting where they were mistreated. And I know this is getting a little personal, but we were, we were able to use uh, a therapy dog and this child was able to speak to the dog what they couldn't even say out loud to a human being because of all the shame and the trauma that was involved. So for me, when I, when I think about this issue about abortion, I think about the little guy. The, not the not the woman who has the agency, but the child that's in her womb. And as far as I understand, I'm not a biologist, don't claim to be, but there's different DNA that this really is, especially as you, let's say you get closer to birth. This is another another human being. And in fact, you know, I guess if you're in the eighth month of pregnancy, if the baby's born, then there's another baby or two human beings in that hospital room or wherever. Uh, a lady gives birth. And so I feel like we need to protect that other person. And who do they have to speak for them? And, you know, gosh, long ago, sort of cliche that, that your your agency ends when my face begins, you know, if you're going to swing a punch at my nose. Um, I'm not really good with that at a certain point. And so I think there's a place where agency has some, at least consequences, I would say. And I think of all all people when you stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves themselves. Yes, yeah, so I'd imagine that might be a, a surprising pathway as people are listening to go down. So you would so essentially what I'm hearing is that agency is great until you use your agency to commit violence against another human being. That's right, Jeff. Then that's right. That's a that that's a line that is a problem. And so in in this I setting, sure at Black some point, would agree, yes. with, would agree, with, agree with it in terms of we don't want a, someone who is who is um, in a vulnerable, vulnerable position to be taken advantage of by a stronger person. And I and I suppose at some point, I mean, it seems like there's broad agreement that life begins at some point in the womb, you know, whether that's pose, you know, uh, late term or something. Right. And that and that therefore you would have no problem with agency of women to make choices about their reproductive rights unless it commits right. violence against, in this case. Yeah. So, so let's talk so about like a big difference between preventing pregnancy and ending pregnancy, which is really ending a life. Uh, so huge difference between birth control and abortion. And I know, I know as a pastor, um, well, let me, let me, before I go there, so essentially 
you just say, I'm just against somebody using their power to commit violence against another person. Right. And in this case, I believe it's another person, and therefore it's an act of, of violence, and it's a wrong use of agency from a more powerful person. And I, um, so then let's let's talk about life a little bit then uh, sure. when when life begins, right? Because I think a lot of people would agree with that, like you said, probably everybody agree with that basic premise. Um, and then you think, well, when when is this life a life, and how do we know about that? And I know for you as a pastor, you're very. Uh, biblically driven. We've talked to another pastor who's also biblically driven, interestingly, George Mason, who who, um, not necessarily, I mean, I, I think he is somewhere at some point you would call him pro-life, but also pro-choice. He had an interesting perspective, but, but it'd be good to hear from yours, as I know you're, you know, for those who care about what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches, and, and even people curious about what makes Christians come up with the conclusions they come up with. Um, from a biblical perspective, talk a little bit about life of the unborn and and how valuable that is, and when you know when life begins that that conversation. What what biblically gives you guidance in thinking about that? And and we really do have some hints in the Bible, Jeff. But honestly, there's not a whole chapter on this topic. There's not a, there's not like a book of the Bible written on this. It's more insights we get, like from a poem. There's a beautiful piece of literature in the Psalms, which bring comfort to so many people. Psalm 139, in which the author, we believe David, spoke about God knitting him in this beautiful image in his mother's womb, that God's forming him, literally knitting him together in his mother's womb. And then in the New Testament, when uh, Elizabeth, who is Mary's cousin, is pregnant with John the Baptist and goes to visit Mary, the baby jumps in her womb and apparently recognizes Jesus in some some way that seems a bit mysterious, but there's an expression of life in the womb. So there seem to be indications like that, that even, even people being talked about being called to their task or their, their mission from being in the womb. And so I think we have hints in the scripture that would indicate that life is present in the womb. Now, the Bible doesn't say exactly when life begins. Again, it's not a biology text, but it does teach that God is the ultimate author of life. Certainly, he uses our bodies and systems that we know, but there's always mystery there, and ultimately, life comes from God. So with the mystery of that, um, of, you know, when in the, because when in the womb life begins, like one of the right. things, one of the, you know, you, you alluded to Jeremiah 1, uh, while you were still in the womb, you know, I knew you and I've, you know, uh, appointed you as a prophet to the nations and so on. Um, so at, at some point, it seems there's life there. We don't know exactly when. So how do we, how do we think about that? Like near term versus long term, you know, late term. And I think it's, I think it's a super difficult question. I think uh, sometimes we can make this overly simple, but I don't think it is. I, I think on one end, which would be if the baby is about to come out and be born, you know, it's it's if you're right at at birth, where I think we would all agree this is a baby in, in that moment, and then you just start going backwards in time, and well, what about during the first trimester or the second trimester? What about when there's brain activity? How about when there's a heartbeat? And I don't know about you, Jeff, but I now have grandkids and 
seeing these sonograms that are so much more advanced than they were years ago when I was having our, when we were having our children, and boy, to see a 3D sonogram of my little grandson or granddaughter, it's kind of overwhelming to me emotionally. And I just instantly look at that picture and see the little bitty fingers and toes and say, oh my goodness, that's my grandson or my granddaughter. Now you keep winding back to the moment of conception or implantation. I don't know. I really don't know. You know, it, it pushes the question like in vitro fertilization. And what about a fertilized egg in a test tube? I just have to say, I, I don't know. I don't, I just, I, I think what's clearer to me, well, I know what's clearer to me is when you've got a heartbeat and brain activity and I can look at a 3D sonogram and identify this as a human baby, that seems pretty clear to me. But exactly that, that moment in the earliest stages, I'm not sure. And on the for life part, I know that you're you know, concerned, as you've said, against about the little guy, about the baby in the womb. Um, but I also know you well enough to know that you also care about the life of the mother. Yes. You care about the life of the baby who becomes a five-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 20-year-old. Um, right. So talk about that a little bit from a societal perspective, even through a Christian lens of how we think about life beyond the life of the unborn. Yeah, I think, and I think this is a place probably we can all be pro-life. I would call myself pro-life, but I'm also pro-choice in the sense of pro-agency. I think people should make their choices and take responsibility for those choices, whatever that might be. In that sense, I'm pro-choice. Pro-life, I'm pro-life beginning to end. And like you said, Jeff, gosh, as a pastor, I've witnessed such tragic situations of kids being abandoned, not being taken care of well times where we have had to call CPS because a child is not is being abused in a home. And so, well, I believe we need to take care of people, whoever they are, whatever age they are. And there's people that are in tough situations, boy, single moms with not much income. Just last week, we were helping a single mom who got a job, but she couldn't afford to pay her rent until the paycheck came. And she needed to be at a hotel for like three or four days until her first paycheck. Well, we want to be there, and we were, and provided that. Um, so uh, our church is actively involved in our community in helping single moms. There's just an amazing program in our city that's a two-year program to help moms get education and be able to be at a place of sustainability. All that to say, I just I, I think this is a place that whether you're pro-life, pro-choice on abortion, surely we can come together on caring for children in difficult situations and caring for moms who want to carry their baby to term, but are in a difficult situation. Maybe they're a teenager, they're really young, or the father left them in a bad situation. Anyway, there, there's innumerable, really difficult, challenging situations, and we need to be there. We need to be a support. Well, to take it another direction, so, you know, the, the conversation and dialogue and engagement now that essentially the conversation has been shifted state to state to have these conversations and to make decisions about abortion law. It it raises the, the polarization that's already there all of a sudden, then it, it, it feels almost impossible to just have a, a helpful, engaging conversation on this issue with people who are on each side of it. Because if you're on pro-choice, it just seems so, on the pro-choice side, it seems ridiculous that people would want to take away agency and 
And on the pro-life side, think, well, how could anybody be pro-violence with abortion? You know, all, and so it gets, it, the, the sides are so vitriolic. And, um, and as, a, as a person who is pro-life, as a pastor, but it really doesn't matter which side you're on as this, um, help us out a little bit. How, how, could, how do you think the, since you are on the pro-life side, how, how could the pro-life side better contribute to a more healthy conversation to find the common, find some common ground and the common good and that kind of thing? On how, how can we move forward better? Because we're going to need to, I think, if we're going to work this out well. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Jeff. And, and I, I'm really a bridge builder. And I want to listen to people and bring people together who have different opinions, different thoughts. And we're, we're not going, of course, we're not going to all agree on this topic, but we're all living in, as citizens of the same country. So how can we really hear each other? And I think it's an, an incredible challenge to move beyond the cliches, to move beyond the shouted slogans at each other and the assumptions about each other that are formed. And we, we begin to treat the other as an enemy. And I think that's really sad. I don't think that's what Christ did at all. And in fact, he was accused of just the opposite, uh, being a friend of quote unquote sinners. And the sinner was like the stranger, the other, the, the different person, the person on the other side. So I really would, would love to see us listen longer to each other. And I think we might be surprised. I think I could probably be surprised at what I hear from someone on the pro-choice side. And to hear, and then I think, is it possible to map out where we agree? Like, I doubt we disagree about everything, but it seems like, you know, what draws attention and what draws fire and draws interest is conflict and disagreement and people, it's the extremes that get airtime because it's somewhat um, interesting to watch somebody yelling and screaming. And the more extreme someone's position is, the more that's sort of interesting some, in a sad way to me. And so... I think in the, like the topic you were just talking about, couldn't we all agree that we want to support moms who are pregnant, it, it, especially if they're in a, in a difficult situation, they're alone, they don't have financial resources, medical resources. And could we have a conversation about how do we help pregnant moms who, who need some resources around them and protect children once they're born? to be able to be raised in a good and healthy way in our country. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for contributing to the conversation. And, sure. you know, what we just ended with, you know, here at the Good Complex, we're trying to avoid what you might call othering, making the, you know, people who don't agree or support the other, and then sort of talking about them rather than just saying, hey, let's just listen, let's talk with people. Right. Realizing we're all we're all kind of in the same boat, trying to navigate this, trying to figure this out together. So thanks for being part of that and for part of the conversation. Hey, you're most welcome. I really appreciate you. I really am honored that you invited me. All right. I felt like this was a really great way to close out this series mm -hmm. because this conversation, I felt like, you know, you kind of mentioned this in the intro, but I felt like he came from a place of, hey, I don't have all the answers, but here's my perspective and here's how I interpret scripture. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, you know, and I think he came at it, you know, probably wherever you're coming from as a listener, whether you care about the Bible or not, right? The, it was interesting to me the way he he talked about, you know, he is a pro-life person, believes that life begins at some point in the womb mm -hmm. and therefore to be protected, that baby. And 
But his conversation about agency, I felt like, was a really helpful conversation mm-hmm. in the mix that, yes, we want, you know, he believes that women should have agency over their bodies and over their mm-hmm. reproductive choices. and all. Um, But when does that agency disappear if it becomes violence, when, when we choose violence against another person, when we choose harm against another person? And uh, like bullying or lots of other things mm-hmm. that you could give as an example, it'd be like, well, no, you don't have the right to do that right. because another person's involved. And so when you believe that that the baby in the womb is another person, well, that really changes the conversation. And right. and and I think if you're coming at it from a pro-choice perspective, at least maybe that can give some help to say, why are they taking away my agency? Why mm-hmm. do they do they not care about me? To, and it's just a, it's a very it's just a different conversation yeah. once. But then it begs the question of life in the womb. Yeah, and he did. Yeah. He did begin, and I appreciate this. Just not to just repeat what you said. He did begin in an area where just about everyone can agree that when we see people, when when we see examples of people with agency using that to harm those harm those who don't have agency, mm-hmm. we all say that's a foul. You can't do that. And so I appreciate that. You know that he started where where we can all agree. And then it, it does kind of come down to, just as you said, in the, one of the main differences between, between Bruce and George is when life begins. And so if, 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 if you say where, where, where George said that, that he would kind of lean towards life beginning at birth, because that's kind of from the Jewish tradition, um, then that's a, that's a very different argument than Bruce saying, well, I think it begins in the womb. I'm not sure when, but it begins at some point. And once, once that happens, it... The conversation's different because we're talking about a person here and uh, a, a person who does not have the agency that, and we need to stick up for the little guy, as he said. Yep. So, Yeah, I think that you brought up a great point about, you know, that is where the conversation really starts to take us in two totally different directions. Right. It's yeah. like, where does life begin? And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations off camera and you brought up, you know, as a culture, we've kind of gotten to a point where we have an agreement on where life ends. Right. So at some point, will we ever kind of get to a general consensus of where life begins? I don't know. Because there are difficult decisions that families have to make at the end of life mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. when you're, and we, we've, we've been able to, as a culture, to say, you know, this is, this is tricky. It, it, it requires you know, a doctor and a family you know, to make very, let's say, moral, difficult decision. But we've been able to make that decision and say, this is kind of where we feel like life ends. Right. And that beyond that, even though, you know, f- you know, a heartbeat is still going or something like that, there's not any life left or something. And so it would be great if as a culture we could come to some type of consensus. I don't have a lot of hope in that. But um, I do feel like both of these conversations, and actually all four, this is the last, this is the last one. It'd be mm-hmm. good to kind of debrief this whole series. Um it it was good to hear from people that are really smart that are that that come at their that have their their point of view and can and relate it in a in a really smart way and it and it's it's just an example that this is complicated and easy answers to complicated um, questions are often just don't serve it well. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't serve the conversation well. Well, when we started with Inez Stepman, right. con- from a constitutional uh-huh. perspective, what is really going on with Roe? But in that conversation, I remember toward the end, and I've alluded to it multiple times, I've kind of adopted it in my own language uh, in, as I think about all this, is she acknowledged the, that there's two moral dilemmas. You have the life of the mother and the life inside the life of the mother. Mm-hmm. 
and that both sides of this tend to minimize the moral dilemma of the other. Of the other. Mm-hmm. Right. So the pro-choice minimize the moral dilemma of the life inside the womb, and the pro-life tend to mm-hmm. minimize the life of the mother, mm-hmm. and maybe the the child as it grows yes. and, and right, that right. kind of outside of birth. And um, and, and I, so I think through this conversation, um, hopefully, has been really helpful in saying, hey, let's. What, what would it look like to do a better job of really recognizing both and mm-hmm. thinking through that more deeply? Mm-hmm. It's definitely made me want to be a better listener yeah. and to consider someone else's perspective without demonizing them, without thinking I'm right about everything, without thinking they're wrong about everything, right. and just having a lot more compassion. I think um, we've talked... Uh, all of these different people that we've talked to have had a lot of compassion for mm-hmm. everyone's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I've loved that. That's It's been neat to see that modeled in all these different interviews where we've talked to people that have really given a lot of thought to this conversation mm-hmm. and they have, they, they come through a very compassionate lens. And I, I, I want to have more of that. Yeah. One of my big takeaways from the series is just wanting, how great would it be if all the conversations around this issue were like this, Mm -hmm. you know, and we are told, you know, you and I are both pastors, but the Bible tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Mm -hmm. And this would just be a very different situation. You know, if, if we just sort of, if it's especially all those with who claim to follow the Bible, it's like, well, that's, those are our marching or we're, we're told that we're to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. So let's just hear perspectives and, and try to, um, to learn from one another so that we can together find the truth, you know. And all four kind of ended with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the hope for that as well as saying, boy, we'd be so much better if we could yeah. find out where we have common ground because we do mm-hmm. and kind of map that out, listen better, but also just let's cooperate better and coming around life as we all understand it and mm-hmm. believe it, life of the, you know, um, wouldn't it be better if we could do that? Yeah. And even though they all came from somewhat different perspectives, everybody agreed with that. Right. And, and if, if, if that could happen, that would be And our conversation amazing. with Jennifer Shelton and the, the work that they do, and they have, they, they, they have experience in doing that and, and caring for women in difficult situations and stuff. And, if we gave ourselves to, to really making the world a better place for those who feel like abortion is their only option, um, even if we disagree with whether or not things should be legal or not, you know, that kind of stuff, we'd be making the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And we would be reducing the number of abortions. You know, for those who are pro-life, um, regardless of the legality of whatever state you're in and how, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, we can be a part of the good, you know, mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Well, I have to say, I've got to be honest. When I heard that we were going to be doing a series on this, I, I was it You're was a little, a little bit. I was sweating a little bit. It's so true. I'm with you. Yeah. But I'm so glad that we did it. I really am. I feel like I learned so much, and I am excited that I know we're going to continue moving forward, doing more conversations. That I'm going to think, oh man, like this right, is going right. to be so uncomfortable, yeah. and walk away feeling better and feeling like, okay, I feel just a little bit better about how to approach some of these things in the world. So this has been awesome. So we hope that you will come back and join us for another episode. We'll have one up soon. Until then, be sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends. I I know you've probably got people in your life that could benefit from hearing some of these Mm -hmm. conversations. So please share them. And don't forget to get out there and make Mm -hmm. it good.